Welcome to Through Rough Waters, a biblically-based mental health podcast presented by WCSG and supported by West Michigan Wellness Group. I'm your host, Zach Allen, and joining me is my co-host, Kevin DeCam. Kevin, how are you today? Doing great today. Also joining us this episode is Jim Brazel. After a successful career in publishing and insurance, Jim followed his desire to help more individuals navigate life's challenges by obtaining his Master's of Marriage and Family Therapy from Indiana Wesleyan University. Jim and his wife have worked with couples and individuals for the last 25 years. Welcome, Jim. Well, thanks, Zach. Glad to be here. So, Jim, you are an expert in what we're going to be talking about today, repairing problems and setting boundaries. Why don't you tell us a little bit about why that is your passion and why you are excited to be here with us today? Oh, absolutely. So I look at family as being the most basic and effective social structure in all of culture. You know, we look at it through the biblical lens and we see how important family was. So if we as a body of believers don't thrive in this and don't get the most we can and contribute the most we can into families, we're going to have a rough future. You know, so it's, I just see it as so important for individuals, but also, you know, if we look at a missional statement, even broader for the, you know, our whole culture and we as believers I believe, have a responsibility beyond non-believers in this area. So we're continuing our series today on family conflict, and we're going to be talking about two important things, how to repair problems and how to set boundaries. So let's start with uh, setting boundaries. If you're not familiar with this concept, it can kind of seem like a negative thing, especially in the context of family. You think of a boundary like a fence or a line in the sand. They're, they're designed to keep things safe, to keep bad things out, keep good things in. So why would we want boundaries in our families? Uh, King Solomon gives us a really good reason why in Proverbs. This is Proverbs 4, verse 23. This is the New Living Translation. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And I like the message paraphrase on this one too. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. So let's set up camp around this verse for a few minutes and talk about it. Why is it so important to guard our hearts? Well, our hearts impact how we interact and treat other people. So if we are not in a healthy space where we are safe, and that's really impacted by boundaries, because when you think about it, boundaries are not just fences, you know, boundaries come in all different types. We have physical boundaries to protect our personal space. We have intellectual boundaries. You know, we all think differently. We have emotional boundaries. We process and live life differently. Sexual boundaries, very important in our culture, very important for individuals. Material boundaries, possessions and such. And then here's what's really difficult at times is time boundaries. You know, in scripture, we're called to be giving and share, but we also have a responsibility to ourselves and to those around us. In order for us to be our best selves, we gotta have healthy boundaries to demarcate what is our priorities, what God has laid on our plates, and also what we can give to others. Yeah, I, I like what you're getting at there, Jim, and I love how you started even in your introduction talking about um, family as the most basic 
building block of societal structure. Um, and within that, that block is even made up of individuals, right? As individuals were each made in God's image and were made uniquely, uh, there's intrinsic value to each individual. And so to even begin with that basic building block of family within the structure of society, we need to respect the autonomy of the individual. And, and there's a tension there and boundaries help us in that way. I, I think often when we talk about this of a sign I saw once that said, uh, good fences make good neighbors. <laughs> and there's, there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. They can be misused uh, and uh, they can be more than we need them to be, right? That which was meant to protect can also keep things and people away. Um, but there's something healthy. Uh, and I think that's what I hear you're getting at about protecting the self, um, protecting the I as we also navigate the we. Yeah. yeah. There was one time when I was encouraged to undertake a venture that I knew I was not capable or, or, or qualified to do. And the gentleman, well-meaning, that said it before me, said, Jim, the best ability is availability. And I think that's a real bad message because um, I was not prepared and ended up, not only was it not a good experience for me, but it impacted a whole bunch of fifth graders too. (laughs) Right. And so your heart is at the center of that, right? And so back to Solomon's wisdom here, I think the admonition here, the, the invitation here is to um, guard our heart to, to be careful uh, because it's the center of our being in many ways. It's where we commune directly with God. And uh, you talked about safety, Jim. If, if we don't have that, if our heart is not in a healthy spot, then not much else matter or matters or will go well from there. And so I think, um, you know, I'd, there is a tension there, but I don't, I don't see that as in opposition. I see that as an important and healthy tension. I must protect my heart because once my heart is protected, I will then be able to do the relational thing well. Yeah. And we, we use this analogy a lot, like when you're on an airplane and they're given the safety demonstration of the the masks, they always say, put yours on first before you help the people around you. That's the same concept of guarding your heart and setting boundaries. You cannot be a good father, mother, husband, wife, whatever, if you're not taking care of yourself first. Yes. And it's another one we misunderstand, isn't it? I think we talked about this in an early episode too of the Um, sometimes we take the self-sacrificial invitation and model that Jesus gave to us to a point that I don't think he ever intended, right? I need to destroy my life um, in order to gain points by offering something to others. But my life is meant to be a living sacrifice. Look at all the times Jesus left the people he was ministering to, to go take care of himself. There's so many times in the Bible, he goes away to pray, to take care of himself and guard his heart. Great example. Jesus took naps. We should all take naps. Yes. Oh, I support. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'm going to set a little scene here as as we talk about the these boundaries and kind of repairing problems in the context of family. We're going to go take a step into Jim's therapy office here. Let's say we're family walking into your office because something has happened. It's gotten to the point where we need someone to help us walk through what we're doing. Jim, why don't you talk a little bit about this thing that you use called narrative therapy? Oh, thanks. Yeah. I think it's helpful to understand how we work. So part of the process is just creating that therapeutic alliance with each of the family members. They have to trust you. If they don't trust you, they're not going to share. They're not going to be open. And it's going to be ineffective. 
So I like to describe just a little bit about narrative therapy, which I think works so well with um, couples as well as families. So narrative therapy simply acknowledges that we all have a story and each story is unique. So in that, during that time, we collect all the presenting problems, name them all, we gotta get them on the table. And then I ask them collectively to come up with a name for the all of all encompassing. That way when we're dealing with it, we can talk about it as the name, the problem. And then we go through a process called externalization, where oftentimes there's a scapegoat, you know, and whether it's accurate or not, someone is bearing the majority of that burden. I want to get that off their shoulders because shame and guilt do nothing therapeutically. So if we can externalize that and start talking about the problem externally from the individuals, we have good outcomes. And then we're focusing on the problem, not on the individuals. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to episode seven, which we did a couple of weeks ago, Kevin and I spent a lot of time talking about that very thing. When you're in conflict, it's not me versus you. It's yes. me and you versus the problem. Yes. Shoulder to shoulder, not nose to nose. Or what I sometimes say is I instead of saying I found the problem and the problem is you, <laughs> right? We found the problem. Yes. Right. And the problem is X. And now that we can stand shoulder to shoulder and look at the problem as X, we can, we can address it together, which is the plan. That's the design. Right? Yes. Okay. So Good. as we work on that, we, we collect those, we name it, and then I help them to start drawing out what is the ideal? What's your dream for this family relationship? Whether it's couples or a group of six or eight people, what is your dream? And the analogy I use is we're all a 12-chapter book. We've all lived a certain amount of chapters already. That's been written. But if we're going to write the next two chapters, what do we want that to look like? And I, you know, from my publishing background, I say, we want to make this a bestseller. We don't want this to be mundane. We don't want this to be just surviving. What's it going to take to get us to a thriving position? And then we work on that simultaneously. We'll pick apart and peel back layers of the problem while we revisit what the ideal is and build some more elements into the ideal. And as you see, now, you know, in the ideal setting, we have people that understand the magnitude of what we're trying to do because we're impacting families. And so if everyone comes to the table with a certain sense of, of humility, um, we can get there. And, you know, I, I do, I, I look at Philippians two verses three and four, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. If we can get that type of a spirit in the room, we've seen some beautiful stuff. Humility, what, a, what an important key. This too reflects some themes that we've talked about that would that would fit right in with this, right? Because sometimes the when you say the ideal, Jim, right, you're externalizing the problem, you're also... Um, painting a vision of the solution or the destination, right? What will 
what will be true in two chapters that isn't true now. And that, that sounds great. That's beautiful. But the difficulty comes in, the conflict comes in when what you mean by that and what I mean by that are different. Yes. And, and so it requires a humble spirit for me to be willing to value what it is that you're trying to accomplish um, as much as or even more than what it is that I want out of this, isn't it? Absolutely. But what you see in the family unit, because, you know, most family units, there's a, a love foundation that's still there. And when that is present, as they share their dreams that they've never shared in that setting before, you just start seeing, in a, in a good situation, you start seeing the layers melt away, and then they start buying into each other's vision. And that's some beautiful work. Doesn't always go like, uh, like the script, though. Well, for example, can I sneak a question in here, Jim? What a lot of the reason that that probably doesn't go, and a lot of the reason somebody might enter your office because they need help with this, is because the trust in a process like that going well has been eroded or never established in the first place, or maybe fully violated, right? Yes. So, so. Can you talk a little about how trust fits into that? And especially if it is a bit of a problem, either because we've never done the work to establish trust or we've lost trust or you violated my trust. How, what do you do when a, when a couple or a family is sitting in your office to address that? Or how do you begin to make inroads with that? Yeah. Well, number one, we have to address it. Yep. You got to name it, right? I literally have a stuffed elephant that sits in my office. I wondered why that was there. And at times, I will hand it to someone, and I will say, would you like to talk about the elephant in the room? And at times, I see them just embrace this cuddly, oversized, stuffed elephant, and it gives them the courage to say, yeah, all right, I must admit, I have to own my, my part in this process. So the problem comes when that trust has been violated, and someone is either not there because they're not participating or the person's in the room and they're not healthy enough to understand their own violation. Oftentimes then what we'll do is we'll break out into smaller units, depending on, you know, I trust them discerning it correctly, but it might be if the, if the trust is broken between two individuals primarily, we'll break off and do a session with just those two and seek repair for just those two, then bring it back to the family unit. Cool. So first and foremost, I'm really glad to know that's why you have a stuffed animal in your room because that's better than my other theory. Um, <laughs> it also makes a good pillow. Yeah, okay. okay. Yes. yes, don't tell all our industry secrets here. What I hear there is maybe another layer of externalizing the problem, right? So rather than let trust be this problem that exists in the room and not talk about it, we externalize it and make it something we're willing to address together by, by naming it, calling it out. And, and there's sort of this like embodiment of that with the elephant, with the actual elephant, right? Yes, is, yes. Is we, can, we can give it a name, we can talk about it, we can say there it is. And yet again, the problem isn't you because you're a, you know, a big fat jerk. The, the problem is that trust has become damaged between us. And that's something that's a problem for both of us. So it's something we should both work on. Correct. Okay. And if we don't address it, then that therapeutic alliance that I spoke about does not exist anymore mm -hmm. because, you know... I'm a dad, so I'll throw myself in that role. If I'm the, the major contributor to some of the challenges and I'm not willing to come to the table and say, okay, I, I've got to learn, I've got to understand 
how this has impacted other people, um, then the the whole process is is going to be less effective because they're going to believe well the therapist isn't willing to hold those accountable and so yes it trust is a huge factor in this and it might be good just to kind of visit what are some of the conflicts that we do visit we do wind up with and so often it's just a lack of communication or, or miscommunication where people haven't gone back and sought clarification. And at times, two sessions in, they're like, oh my goodness, had I known this, we wouldn't be here. And, you know, that's beautiful work. And you see the repair, they go on. That's low hanging fruit. That is low hanging right. fruit. Yeah. Yeah. As we progress through life, you know, there are times when um, we have to take parental responsibility for our parents uh, due to health and, and mental health issues. And if you have siblings, you're not always going to see things through the same lens. And that can cause difficulty. So aging parents, end of life issues, money. Um, I, I love, you know, whether it's uh Different people we look to for advice, like a, a Dave Ramsey, don't loan money to relatives. That, that's, you know, just like your analogy of the fence. A, a, one of the quickest ways to family conflict is to start loaning money to each other's. What, is, what does he say? It makes the turkey taste funny at Thanksgiving yeah, dinner. Yeah, it does, right. <laughs> yeah. So we could have difference in values, um, family formation, in-law issues. The greatest challenge in second marriages and um, uh, reforming families is the factor of how are we going to navigate disciplining of children? And, you know, so people often talk about the difficulty of remarriage. There's the elephant in the room. Yeah, we have to redefine our roles and expectations. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So before we move on, I want to put myself in the shoes of someone listening to this and there may be their family's going through something right now. They're thinking, this is all great. Like I would love to get my family into a room and talk about this, but so-and-so in my family refuses to accept that there's a problem or I know they will not go see a therapist with me. What do you do when you're in that situation where you know you need help, but one of the people in your family or multiple people in your family refuse to admit it or acknowledge it. Yeah. I will ask one of the family members to help me understand the desire. What's the desire of this repair? And once I understand that, I offer to uh, send what I would refer to as a therapeutic email or, or correspondence to the reluctant party. I offer to meet with them individually because one of the concerns that I frequently hear is, I don't want to be ganged up on. I don't want to be the cause. So then I go back and I under, just kind of explain the process to them, explain a little bit about the narrative therapy that I work with primarily in, in families. And there's no guarantees. You know, sometimes we still have a reluctant person, but oftentimes they'll say, you know what, I'll give it a shot. And then we work diligently to create that therapeutic alliance with that individual as well as the rest in the, in the room. You know, in, in our role, Zach, this can be really difficult too, because we're relying on secondhand information. So I think in much the same way, um, I would often start by lovingly and carefully challenging the assumption that 
this can't be repaired, that the person will not. Um, because sometimes that is just that it's an assumption, right? People aren't, uh, coming to us unless they need help. If, if this was easy enough or simple enough or could be solved without help, they wouldn't be calling. If they're calling, it's because they hasn't gone so well. So there's a reason for that. But maybe the reason for that isn't quite what it seems. Maybe it's not quite as obvious. And so sometimes we need, I, I think that's what you're getting at, Jim, is, is assessing that. But I think along with that assessment, the other thing I would add too is, um, this is, this is hard from uh, two degrees of separation, but assessing whether the person has the capacity or willingness to actually do this kind of work. Um, you know, uh, Matthew 18 is um, something we go to because it, it frames and defines our work around reconciliation. And what often strikes me is step one is, is go to your brother, right? Go to the person, try to work this out. Maybe that's already happened. One of the things we challenge is, did it really? <laughs> did it really? Did you really go to, go to the person? Second step is, is bring a brother, bring a, bring a friend, bring a um, trusted member of the church. Um, because there's power in that and, uh, and, and that may increase their attention, may increase their likelihood to respond. Step three, uh, and I don't think we take this lightly, but step three is cut them off, right? Step three is, is leave it in God's hand. And that's then when maybe the work we do is more about forgiveness. Um, but you know, we, we aren't asked to, according to that formula, to continue jumping on the fire. Right. And this is another thing that I think is misunderstood, especially within the context of faith and religion. Um, uh, you know, I think there's lots of examples of, of Jesus exercising boundaries and, and showing boundaries. Right. But there's this assumption that to be a good Christian, I must keep jumping back into the fire over and over and over, even if it's causing me harm, because something about that must be edifying to me. And, and you know, maybe there's some examples where that's true. But I think in relationships, we have to be very careful. And one of the ways to be careful is to assess, is this the kind of person that possesses the both the willingness and the ability to do this kind of work? Um, and uh yeah, that, that is important because there are at times contraindications, indicators that say, no, therapy is not appropriate at this time. And one of those contraindications can be if you know that you have a person that's capable of physical harm or just has an explosive nature that they cannot control, we don't want to then grab eight other people and put them in a room. Or if there's addiction. You know, there's addiction that's out of control. Simply putting them in a room, there's no magic that's going to take that away. Before that person addresses their addiction. Correct. Right. Right. We talked about this a little bit last week. I shared a little bit of my story. Like my dad is someone that my family has cut out of our lives. And we talked about those kind of boundaries and that toxicity. So if you missed that conversation, go ahead and head back to last week's episode. And um, there's some really good conversation around this exact thing. Yeah. I think how we would usually define that in a general sense, and that's hard to do because every situation is different. But in a general sense, I think what we're looking for there is um, an unrepentant capacity to harm. Yeah. Right. Whether that's physical violence, actually, the research would say that emotional uh, and relational violence can even have a more detrimental effect. It's just a little harder to measure and harder mm-hmm. to prove. That's um, my family story. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So so no physical violence. Right. So mm-hmm. no bruises, just no evidence. A whole of that. lot of manipulation. Yep. Just a lot of that. And that's that's hard to pin down. It's hard mm-hmm. for people to understand. And yet, if you have help, especially from someone who's objective enough to the situation to help you assess that and help you figure that out. Um, then I think there is this indication that if the person is unrepentant and unwilling to change those behaviors before engaging, then we, then we should not, 
right? Correct. But, yeah. but that's part of our initial assessment. And that's part of why it's important to reach out to someone who has these skills and most importantly is objective to the situation, right? So when Jim is helping a family walk through this, all of Jim's fears and insecurities are not at play, right? Jim's not taking it personally. Therefore, Jim's able to see it a little more objectively yeah. and can help. I want to go back to something that you said a little bit earlier in the episode, Jim, you quoted Philippians two, three, and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Can you take a a few minutes and kind of expand on that specifically in this realm of everything that we've been talking about, like being the one that goes first, like resolving this conflict in your family? How does that apply to this? Yeah, absolutely. Usually someone has to take the lead. Someone has to be the bigger person and say, you know what, for the sake of the family, we know what's at stake here. So I'm going to take that role. And, you know, we talked about the explosive, explosive nature, because we all have that uncle, right? That, um, uncle Joe. There we go. And um, if we can give him or her the skills to navigate this um, this environment, it's so rewarding to see them. And one of the tools that I use, widely used in, in counseling, is when we're addressing conflict, we, we make sure that we're not being uh, accusatorial. Because if we accuse, someone's going to defend, and the uh, conflict escalates. And that's what we're trying to avoid. So if we can teach them to lead with an I statement, by using an I statement, we then are inviting others into our story, and we hear genuine descriptions about what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. So rather than saying, you know, Kevin, you always bring this family down by your bad attitude. If I were to lead and say, hey, Kevin, I just want to let you know, sometimes when that sarcasm comes out, I just feel so demeaned and so humiliated as an individual. Am I hearing that correctly from you? And you hear that dialogue and see that dialogue because we started not with confrontation, not with an accusation, but helping the others in the room understand what we're experiencing. So there, there's the first step. And then um, I want to make sure that everyone's in good footing. And we talk a little bit about, and this was one of the very first um, episodes when you guys were talking about uh, anxiety in little kids, the good old brain and how our brain can get flooded with emotions and the reality that our our brain and our liver, you know, have these stored up pharmacy drugs, you know, that just want to jump in there in a crisis situation, but don't do as much good in conversation. So we want to make sure we keep it below that stage and not have anyone be flooded in that situation. And one of the ways we do this, this is a good rule in family therapy, never use absolute statements. (laughs) Yeah, that's how you started, right? That don't start by saying you always, you never, right? Because that puts everyone else on defensive. defensive. Yes. Yeah. So to clarify what you're getting at when you're talking about coaching the person, uh, if you're using me as the problematic person, you're saying that you in your role, Jim, would be coaching the person approaching me. 
right? T- having them take the lead, be willing to use I statements, be willing to introduce feelings so that the person you identified as me as the problem can hear that can be invited into a more therapeutic yes, engagement. Yes, we're, we're teaching the whole group okay. that Good. so that yep. we're not isolating anyone, but Oftentimes, they like to self-identify themselves, you know, <laughs> by telling, you know, what's wrong uh, with the process, the room. And, you know, so it's, it's usually pretty easy to identify who is the most anxious in the room. Yeah. And for being that neutral third party in the room, it's so helpful just to sit back and observe and see what the dynamics are as they play out, even as they come in and greet each other, who chooses to sit where, what their posture is, just reading them as individuals. And then as a neutral third party, I've never been offended or injured by them. I can reach out to them and see the hurt and try to speak into the hurt or the pain that they might be experiencing and give them a platform to tell their story that maybe it's never been heard. And so there's some of the good stuff that can happen in those settings. Yeah. I sometimes talk about the chair I sit in in the therapy office as the cheater seat, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I may have some training and experience that allows me to exercise this, but the primary advantage that I have is that I'm not part of the system, right? So, and this is sometimes confusing to people who say, well, you know, I'm actually pretty good at this. I can, I can talk to people at work. I'm good at navigating conflict, but man, when I get home, you know, X, Y, and Z happens. And again, the, the, simple assumption is therefore the problem must be my family or the the person sitting across the room, right? But the the problem is actually that you're less objective the closer you get to the problem. And and that can be a little (laughs) confusing to people. And so, yeah, we get this this huge head start by sitting in the cheater seat. We don't have all of our emotional relational history at play as we're assessing and navigating the problem. We can be more objective. We can sit outside of it. And really what we're trying to do is equip people with the skills and ability to to head in that direction, to do more of that, because we understand that the place they start from as they're navigating family conflict is, is very different, right? This is really easy when I get to be the therapist in my office. It's really hard when I go home. I want to latch on to something that you just said there, Kevin, equipping. Yeah. So as we tw- head towards the last part of this episode, we mentioned it in the beginning when we were talking about that verse in Proverbs, boundaries. We've talked about, here's the problem. We've talked about processing the problem. Now, often the solution to conflict is setting appropriate boundaries. So Jim, I want you to address the person listening to us right now that says boundaries are negative. I don't want a boundary, like sell the concept of boundaries as a positive option to someone maybe walking through some conflict right now. Yeah, absolutely, Zach. And and we're actually going to provide a tool that's going to be linked in the in the notes. Uh, what are personal boundaries? And in that worksheet, what I would ask that individual to do is just look, because there's going to be three different categories that boundaries can fall into. Personally, we can be too rigid with our boundaries, and we cut ourselves off from opportunities, and we tend to um, restrict others from getting too close to us. If we have too porous of boundaries, then we're getting taken advantage. If we feel that we're being taken advantage, we tend to be over-involved in other people's problems. So what we want to shoot for is to first understand what does that healthy boundary look like? What is a healthy level of boundary? You know, is that the chain link fence or is it the concrete wall? And depending on the circumstance, 
either one of those may be appropriate. So let's drill down into one of these these worksheets that is no, that is linked down there in the show notes. Can you maybe go through the different kinds of boundaries for someone that maybe isn't familiar with this concept and maybe give an example or two of what that might look like as someone begins to explore this idea of guarding their heart and setting these kinds of boundaries? Sure. Yeah. And, you know, with physical boundaries, we think about personal safety. We think about um, who we let into our domain, where we put ourselves, you know, where do we go? Uh, We have a choice of where we go usually. So do I put myself into a place that might not be healthy for me, whether that's someone's home or an establishment where there's substances that aren't healthy for me? You know, if I set a boundary and say, you know what, I'm simply not going to go there. That might seem odd to other people, but what you're doing is so healthy by simply taking that first step. And then uh, emotional boundaries, those are the tough ones. But at times we have to have those tough conversations and say, I know that you might find that brand of humor or that nickname for me that I've had since seventh grade, you might find that humorous, but it really does damage to me because that's not who I want to be at this point in my life. And so at times we have to have those emotional boundaries, sexual boundaries. You know, God's word lays out for us the uh, ideals in these situations And we simply need to live into that and understand that those are boundaries. Material boundaries. God entrusts us with different things. And, you know, if I have a car that I depend on to get to work, that's a material function or material blessing that I have. If I have a neighbor that has three DUIs and uh, they come over to you with an emergency, I have to go get medicine. You smell alcohol in their breath and you know my car's trash, I need to borrow your car. You are under no obligation to hand over the keys to your car over to that individual. As a matter of fact, it would be irresponsible. So there are times we have to do that. And then the toughest one is time boundaries. How much can we do? Uh, one of the healthiest things I saw in the church setting was a church I attended. um, And when you joined, you were put through a spiritual gifts uh, assessment, and then you sat down with an administrative pastor. And he explained, we will allow you to have one minor and one major responsibility. We will not be the avenue to keep families apart or to, you know, used to hear about stories that my parents were at church every time the doors were open. That's not endearing. That's not healthy. So, you know, there a church recognized that the church itself can be damaging and said, we're going to put limits on how much you can serve out of interest for you, your family, and the health of the church. And it was amazing to watch, you know, just as a side note, how it drew other people that were a little more reluctant to make themselves available. As we started canceling programs, people stepped forward. And so, you know, sometimes we see healthies or or boundaries that, oh, that might be negative. No, boundaries can be positive as long as we discussed before, we're not so rigid with it where we're excluding opportunities and excluding individuals. 
So to make one little distinction there, Jim, uh, because I think we're, I hear us using these themes throughout this episode, um, one being reconciliation. How is it that we move towards one another? How is it that we repair ruptures? How is it that we come to understand each other? I'll use of all of those examples. Uh, the nickname one was interesting as you threw that out, right? So reconciliation might be what you talked about early on in saying, hey, I'm going to open up with an I statement. I'm going to share and be willing to risk being vulnerable with you to tell you why it is that that's maybe hurtful to me or embarrassing to me, right? And reconciliation would be the process by which in sharing that with you, you might be willing to understand and change how you interact with me, right? Yes. Ba boundaries, as you use it here with a similar example, might be something like, uh, you know, either based on where I am or how this is going or how you've responded to me, I'm going to decide that I'm going to limit my time or limit my space, that I will choose a certain action if you make a certain decision, right? So with the nickname, if you may call me that, uh, I can't stop you from calling me that. Um, I'm going to create a boundary to protect myself because even though I've shared with you what that's all about, you continue to call me that. And therefore, next time it happens, X. Correct. Right. Maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll leave. Uh, maybe I'll I'll choose not to come next time. Uh, maybe I'll respond in a certain way. Absolutely. Right. And not a threat or an ultimatum. You know, I, there's sometimes a fine line between an invitation and an ultimatum. Right. It it isn't if you do that again, I'm going to knock your block off. It's if that does happen again, uh, you know why that's a problem to me. I've already shared that with yes. you, and and I will choose to set this boundary around that yes. around myself. And here's an interesting one. I do a lot of premarital work. And I, I estimate, I think I've done premarital work between my wife and I and, and me alone, uh, well over 100 couples. And one of the things, I always encourage wrap-up sessions six months or 12 months into the marriage. And one of the things, when I meet with the couples after they're married, one of the greatest challenge in boundaries is right in their family. So what I love to do is I say, all right, you know, if you come from a faith perspective, uh, we're going to help you out with a little bit of scripture. And we go back to Genesis. And for this reason, you know, God has, has called the man and woman to, to join together, to leave and cleave to each other. You are now the family unit. Your responsibility is with each other above all other else. And just because the family has opened Christmas presents at 7.05 on Christmas morning with the big video camera in the corner, um, you know, taping all of it, you have a right to then start developing your own traditions. And, you know, what? there's another family to be considered in all this. So at times, those, those conversations need to take place. And my encouragement is do it well before the event. Don't wait till the night before and say, hey, by the way, we're not showing up tomorrow at 7.05. Do that's it. not a healthy way to set a boundary. That's not a healthy way to set a boundary. It might be a boundary. It might be a boundary, yeah. Um, so just engage in those conversations. It, help them understand what your desire is. You know, once again, we, we're not going to lead with an absolute. Hey, we're not coming. Click. That's going to cause conflict. But if we say, hey, this is something that we have desired. We've always come over to everybody else's house. Me and my family, we, now that we have three children, we're going to have Christmas morning around our Christmas tree, start with devotions and just have a wonderful time. And I would like you to respect that because that's what you've brought me up to value. And we'll come over, 
but it'll probably be 11 o'clock when we come over with our family and we'll celebrate as a family at that point. And that's something that commonly comes up and Especially this time of year. Especially right? this we're, time we're of year. We're doing a lot yes. of this work right now. Yes. Because there's a lot loaded into these things, right? That's a, that's a great explanation of how someone could be coached to an end product to communicate, right? But there's a lot loaded up on what's behind that on the side of the person you're referring to. And then there's a lot loaded up on the other side. And by the way, we're talking about extended family and multiple layers of blended family, right? And and so there's a lot of expectations. There's a lot of uh, desire. There's a lot of maybe hurt. There's a lot of potentially trust issues. There is so much loaded up around this. Zach, I'll give you credit. That's why it's not an accident. We're talking about these things this time of year yep. as we head into the holiday season. It's by design that we're releasing some of this information and uh, some of these reminders because uh, this season is rife with so many beautiful things and it's, and it's also rife with this complexity and this difficulty, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff, guys. Um, I would encourage you listening. Go ahead and check the show notes, grab these worksheets and... Um, Spend some time looking at it and going through them, especially if you're kind of in one of these scenarios right now. Uh, as we wrap things up, we want to spend some time doing some Q&A. Uh, if you've got a question you'd like us to answer, you can submit it at wcsg.org. Just search for podcasts, click on Through Rough Waters. You can also uh, submit your question through email if you'd like to do that. Through Rough Waters at wcsg.org. Today, we've got a question, not from one of our listeners, because we're talking about something really specific, but Jim, you brought a question that came up in a therapy session that you've gone through. So we've talked about, we spent 45 minutes talking about conflict and boundaries. What is the first step when that just doesn't work? Yeah, yeah. And out of respect to, to clients, uh, I'm a blend of few together. Um, oftentimes that phone call will come or that inquiry will come what happens when our attempts don't work? You know, I've put my best mother, father foot forward in humility, and we're just not getting there. And that's when I will encourage that we join together, invite them into a neutral setting, because sometimes their home turf means it's their home turf, and that is a barrier for people. So sometimes just allowing that neutral party, that neutral space, neutral person, uh, being me or another therapist, being there to help navigate that is very helpful. And the therapeutic value of joining together in one room when maybe they haven't been in a room together for years, there's value to that. And you can just kind of read the room and see things soften. And in one case, there was a terrible medical diagnosis and mom understood the value. She was gonna use it for all that it was worth. And it was her diagnosis, she chose to share it at the first session. It's like, okay, put me out of a job. My, you know, that, that repair took very little time. It was beautiful to watch. And um, so what is it? that you can bring to that session? Is it something you're offering? Is it you as the leader of the family saying, I know that I have done wrong in the past and I want to ask your forgiveness. And in that process, can we repair?
So thank you so much for joining us for episode nine of Through Rough Waters. Uh, Join us in two weeks as we wrap up our first season. I want to thank you, Kevin and Jim, for being here and for West Michigan Wellness Group for supporting this podcast. Uh, Kevin, if someone's listening and they've decided it's time to reach out, take that first step, how do they get in contact with you guys and how do they begin this journey of therapy? Yeah. Absolutely. Let me first sneak in. It's our pleasure to be here. <laughs> it genuinely is. Yes. We love doing this. We're so thankful to Uzac and to uh, WCSG for um, the platform to be able to take what we do, often in private and confidence, within our offices, doors closed, and bring it out to the world. Um, it's just been such a joy to be able to do that, and we're thankful to you. We're thankful to the, to the listeners for being willing to tune in and devote some precious time to being able to hear these things. Um and hopefully what has been evident all along is that we really love to do this. It's a, it's sort of a weird thing to love to do. We take so much joy in being able to uh, embrace the role uh, that God has equipped us for and the um, the place and, and the setting uh, where this kind of work that Jim's talking about today can happen. Um, and so, yeah, we're just grateful. We enjoy doing it and we invite anybody who could benefit from our help or just has questions about the process to reach out to us. So we try to make that as easy as possible. Um, any, any search engine search will lead you to West Michigan Wellness Group. You can go straight to westmichiganwellnessgroup.com. You can call us on the phone, 616-600-1187, or you can just shoot an email. Uh, our general email inbox is info at westmichiganwellnessgroup.com, and uh, we'll take it from there. We'd be happy to walk you through the next steps. Yeah, we've also got all that information down in the show notes and also at wcsg.org. As we wrap up this episode, uh, Jim, would you mind closing us in prayer? Oh, my privilege. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you as that father figure. Lord, give us the courage, the humility, and the strength to reach out and repair. Father, for the listeners, I just pray for a measure of grace that they could extend in this holiday season to each other. Father, thank you for this avenue to be able to reach out, and it is our privilege. And we we call you our, our Savior and our God, and we trust you for this repair. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast and its content are designed and intended to provide a place for conversation. Topics and advice covered in this podcast should not be taken as professional medical advice or emotional or spiritual counsel. If you or a loved one needs professional help, they should seek a licensed professional. The views covered and discussed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Ideas presented are not necessarily endorsed by WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University.